today on Laura Lynn and Friends. Fixing this problem is not going and being a bunch of Rambos and, and rescuing the kids in Colombia. Fixing this problem is going home and hugging your kids and making sure that they've got a good relationship with you and with God. You saw the movie Sound of Freedom, so we are going to get to our guest uh, very, very shortly. But let me just tell you um, that I'm a little bit upset because some of you are mad because I went to an AI conference at a church, everybody, an AI conference at a church. And when I kind of promoted, oh, look what AI can do and how positive this this can be for us, uh, some of you were like, oh, my gosh, somebody has hacked Laura Lynn's uh, pages. She's been hacked, everyone. Laura Lynn would never talk like this. And so I had to deal with a whole bunch of bad stuff, you guys, because it's, I think we have to have a very frank talk and, you know, we'll talk more about this at the end of the show, but AI, that's how we do GPS, talk texting, um, Alexa, and these things that listen to us all the time. I mean, I don't like them and I don't have them, but our phones are, are AI gadgets, 100%. AI, it's going to have the ability to uh, allow you to translate your message into 60 different languages so you can communicate with the world. Um, very shortly, they're telling me within a year, this broadcast that you're seeing right now could be done in 60 languages going across the world, thereby more people getting the truth, getting the, the uh, agenda exposed, evil exposed, and all of the good things and all of the honorable and righteous things that should go out there. We can get out easier. That's not the bad thing. So it's not AI that's bad. It's not, I remember when the VCR came out. Oh my goodness, we can't have VCRs. People are going to be watching porn on there. And you know, that happened. Um, <laughs> the VCR brought access to, to porn. The VCR also brought access to great movies. It brought access to great content. It brought uh, good things as well as bad things. Uh, people started putting their, their Christian teaching. Pastors started using the VCR and then the DVD. Okay, and now we're, we're way past that and the kids are like, what's a VCR? Um, but, but there is always good in something. Yes, is AI going to be a problem? 100%. 100%. We're about to be absolutely tracked, traced, and known about here in Canada. One of the things they're going to do, they're going to bring in the, that universal income, okay? That's going to be attached to your personal portfolio and profile. That's going to be attached to, you know, your medical status. We know what that means. Are we on YouTube today? Okay. So that'll be attached to your medical status. That is going to be attached to your carbon footprint. Yes, this is, we're heading into brutal. It's going to be the time of our lives. And I intend to have a very good time going down there. But don't be mad at me because I'm saying AI is here. How do we best use it? AI is going to allow producers like we're about to talk to to make movies at a fraction of the cost and it's going to allow the spreading of the information to be so monumental and so powerful that it will outdo how we did it before without AI. So don't be mad at me, everybody. Let's just take a breather and, and let's think this through, all right? I am not for AI to, to be the on the destructive side of it, but with every technology, there is good and evil. 
all of it. And yeah, do I think we're back to the Tower of Babel where they all spoke the same language and God said, you know, we got to destroy them because nothing, they're unstoppable at this point. I mean, I think we, it is the return to the times of Babel. In anyways, I just want to say that we'll talk a bit more about it at the end of the show. But I, I had people thinking that I had been hacked and, you know, you were all like, Laurelyn would never say this stuff. So let's have a bit more of a conversation before y'all get, you know, super mad. All right. Um, all right. So you know that I love to start uh, every show by opening my dad's Bible. I sure do miss him. And he underlined practically every single page in this Bible. So I opened it up today and I went to Psalms uh, 20, Psalms 25, verse 10. It says this, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto, unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. I am so grateful for mercy. I am so grateful for his truth that sets us free. I think I just dropped something. Oh, my dad's Bible landed straight up. So it's okay. No harm done. Okay. <laughs> All right. And I appreciate that as we speak the truth, as we tell the truth, as we share the truth on our broadcasts, in movies, in media, as we write things that matter. Without knowledge, the people perish. That should be why we dedicate our lives to spreading the truth so that people are helped, so humanity is better after we've been here. Paul Hutchinson, okay. So you are going to absolutely love this guest. Many of you saw the, uh, the movie, The Sound of Freedom. Should we just uh, play the trailer, JT? And then I'm going to let you know about this incredible man who was the executive producer and um, one of the investors in The Sound of Freedom. How'd that make you feel? Giving a child his freedom. So good. You have been at this for 12 years. My country tis of thee. Why are you doing it? Sleep and liberty. Because God's children are not for sale. It is the fastest growing international crime network that the world has ever seen. For homeland security, you know we can't go off rescuing Honduran kids in Colombia. This job tears you to pieces. And, my and this is my one chance to put those pieces back together. And, and yet somehow, you have failed to bring me one real-world lead. It's over, Tim. Close up and come back home. So you quit your job and you go and rescue those kids. South of that river is all rebel territory. No one goes in. What if this was your daughter? So she's gone.
you that? That's the sound of freedom. Okay. Many of you absolutely loved that movie when it came out last year. I hope that you invested your funds to get to a theater to watch it. It's now available, we think, on Prime and Apple. We will, uh, oh, um, we will ask Mr. Paul Hutchinson when we bring him on here. A successful business owner, investor, and philanthropist. In 2017, Paul founded the Child Liberation Foundation and has led or held a critical role in over 70 undercover rescue missions in 15 countries. Through this foundation and others that he has helped to start and fund over 5,000 children have now been liberated. Paul is the primary investor and executive producer of the film, The Sound of Freedom. The film highlights one of the largest child rescue missions in history with over 120 victims being liberated in which Paul himself held a pivotal role. Thank you very much for being with us, Paul. That is, uh, it, it's really astounding. And um, you were saying that this movie highlights one of the great missions um, that I guess, you know, you got to participate in some manner. Were, were you actually there or? <laughs> yes, I am. Um, in fact, in the movie, the producer of Sound of Freedom is Eduardo Verostegui. Uh, about halfway through the film, Jim Caviezel is talking to his wife and he's like, you know, the only way I can pull this off is if I can convince Pablo. Well, I'm Pablo. That's, uh, you know, the Mexican actor. He came as Pablo Delgado, the billion dollar fund manager who decides to quit his job to go help rescue the children. So I was physically there. I, uh, I, I got a phone call. I had already been helping the foundation and uh, I got a phone call from the Homeland Security agent, the one that, Tim pl that uh, Jim plays. Mm -hmm. And he said, Paul, he said, I'm here in Cartagena. There's not just 20 children like we thought there's more than 50 here and there's more than a hundred children in other trafficking rings in other cities in Medellin, in Armenia, Colombia. He said, we believe we can rescue all 100 children on the same day at the same time, but I, I, I need your help if you're willing. And I said, well, how much do you need? I thought that he needed more money to do it. And he said, I need you. Can you be in Colombia in two days? I, I, I'm like me, you know, he, he knew more about my background than most people. I have a special set of skills that makes me somewhat safe in a dangerous place. But more important than that, he, he said, Paul, the, the head trafficker down here has a piece of property he wants to develop into a child brothel sex resort. He needs a few million dollars to build it out. He believes he can make tens of millions of dollars a year selling children to wealthy Americans. And he said, the plan is this. He said, you fly down here and, as a wealthy investor, real estate investor, and you tell them, listen, I'm willing to take a look at your project under one condition. A couple weeks from now, I'm going to bring down a bunch of my buddies. We want to have a party. Now, our intel already told us that he had over 50 children throughout his network in that area. I said, so, so I'm going to bring my buddies down. We're going to have a party. You show up with uh, with you know the about fifty of the, the the models that you have to work with. If I'm happy, then I'll consider your deal. Well, it worked like clockwork. Two days later, I was I was in Colombia. I'm face to face with the most evil people you can imagine, and and uh, and I'm sitting at this table, 
And halfway through the meeting, these guys, one of them was so excited, I was willing to look at the project. He goes, Pablo, he said, I have a gift for you. I said, really, what's your gift? And he hands me his phone and there's a picture of an 11 year old child on his phone. He said, this is princess. She's still a virgin. We just took delivery of some, she's my gift. And he started talking about these horrible things. Now in the movie, um, I was, I was pushing back against Jim Caviezel saying, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And the only way I was convinced is he gave this envelope to my driver. And in this envelope was this picture of this 11 year old girl named that they called princess. She was kind of the focal point of the movie. And, and that was the time that I decided, you know what, I'll go help in real life. I was already there. I was in Cartagena, Colombia. I was face to face with traffickers, but that was the very first time that somebody that I had seen what I knew was a traffic child as he showed me his phone. And, and that, that solidified my commitment to dedicate my resources to eradicating that evil. Wow. And I guess at the time that this truly happened in real life, nobody knew this would become a major motion picture that would uh, shatter some of the, the, um, you know, the things that we didn't know about sex trafficking and that would expose the evil. Like that wasn't known for some time, I guess. I had no idea. I had no idea what trafficking was. Was I mean, I lived in this opulent bubble, right? When I got the phone call from the the Homeland Security agent, when I got that phone call, I was in Atlanta, Georgia. I was I was at this opulent hotel. I was raising millions of dollars from from multi billion dollar families for for my investment fund. I was in this bubble, completely oblivious of the world outside, and uh, and when he called me and he said, Paul, come as a wealthy business owner, I'm looking down, I have $2,000 cufflinks on, right? At the time, my, 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 my suit I was wearing cost more than my first car when I, when I uh, was a teenager. And I, I said, well, how do I dress? He goes, dress as a flamboyant businessman. I'm like, okay, yeah. And I had no idea what to expect. And when I, when I got there to Cartagena, I, we, we, we walked in, I had these two bodyguards. They were former Navy SEALs, big dudes, right? And they're, they're my real bodyguards and my show bodyguards. So the traffickers were thinking, you know, this guy can really fund my project. And we walk in and I was expecting, I was expecting to see guys with tattoos on their cheeks and th three earrings in their noses, you know, gang members. The first trafficker I met was a businessman in a, in a polo shirt, clean cut. The second one was a beautiful woman running this fake modeling agency and trafficking these children. And I, I realized over the, over the 70 plus missions over the last 10 years that I've done, the common thread wasn't, wasn't tattoos on their face and earrings. The common thread between all of these traffickers was arrogance and greed and lust every single time. It was this arrogance of seeing themselves as, as more important than another human being. And in that case, the children, you know, and this greed where their, their bottom line, their pocketbook was, was more important than any of the suffering that was happening from their victims. And then of course, lust was something that every one of our, our uh, perpetrators that we arrested as well, they, and, and I'm just going to go there with this audience. I'm just, I'm just going to go there because we've got a preliminary Christian audience. Almost everybody, including 
good religious folk, almost everybody has seen pornography. Just because you've seen pornography doesn't mean you're going to become a pedophile. But I will say this, every single one of those guys that we arrested started out with a hardcore addiction to pornography. The very second, the very second that we take a woman from a divine feminine to an object, we start playing in that same energy as those traffickers. You're saying, you know, I, I don't, I don't do anything with children. I just look at, you know, no, it's objectification. It's, it's, it's making another human being a commodity in some way in your mind. And, and that creates a situation where, where many times guys need something a little bit harder to have that same fix, just like a hardcore drug. And for some of them, harder is a little bit younger, a little bit younger, or maybe, maybe, you know, rape videos or whatever else it's harder core stuff. And pretty soon they're fantasizing about things they wouldn't even be attracted to five years ago. And then they're acting out on these horrific fantasies. So uh, as we're really looking at how to fix this problem, Fixing this problem is not going and being a bunch of Rambos and, and rescuing the kids in Colombia. Fixing this problem is going home and hugging your kids and making sure that they've got a good relationship with you and with God. This is vital. And, and people say, well, how's that going to fix it? Well, the, the majority of trafficking doesn't happen like what you saw in the movie. Yes, those things happen, right? But, but uh, a healthy family with, with good relationship with the kids, like what you saw with that father and the princess, and, and traffickers taking them and, and putting them on, a, con, um, a, on a, a shipping container to another country, yes, that happens, but it's very seldom. The majority of children who are trafficked sleep in their own beds at night. Now let that sink in for a minute. You're like, oh, wait, I thought that. How, how are they trafficked? No, they're they're. You need a relationship with your children, where they can very comfortably come to you and say, hey, you know what, mom, I, I, I don't like it when you tell me that I have to hug Uncle Harry because when he hugs me, he touches me weird, or or I don't like going to that friend's house because her brother pits me on my butt every time, or our babysitter is showing us pornography and she says we should trust her more than you. These are grooming behaviors. These are things that you need a relationship with your kids where they can very comfortably come to you and say, hey, this thing happened during, during lunch at school. And I, I, I feel, you know, and, and have, have, make them not feel like it was their fault or carry on this shame. But more important than that, and, and sorry, I'm just rambling here, but I'm, I'm talking about big picture fixing this problem, right? For years, for years, after seeing children being trafficked firsthand, I, I made this commitment. I'm going to dedicate my life and my resources to eradicating this evil. When I was sitting on this chair, like I am right now, and there was this little 11-year-old girl standing up. She wasn't much taller than I was sitting down. And all I could see in her eyes was fear. I was, I was eye to eye level with her as I was sitting down. And I made a commitment to myself and to God and to that child that I would figure out how to fix this. And for 10 years, I, I, I participated in and led over 70 missions in 15 countries. I had threw a whole bunch of money into the movie and, and other foundations, et cetera. And last year, I looked at the numbers. This is before the movie came out. I looked at the numbers and realized there's more children being sold today 
than there was 10 years ago. And I had, I, I looked in the mirror and I said, Paul, if you're, if your goal is to eradicate this, you're not doing a very good job, right? <laughs> because every time, every time we pulled these 20 children out of hell and got them back to their families, every time, if not enough was being done to fix the demand, then another 20 or more children were being sucked into the deepest recesses of hell to fill that demand. So what we have to ask as, as good Christians, we have to ask this question, okay? Where is it coming from? Okay, if you imagine the, the links on a chain, right? The, the Child Liberation Foundation is, a, the logo has a, has a big chain with, it's broken in the middle. And our goal is to break the chain of trafficking. Well, if that's the goal, we have to look at the links of the chain and ask ourselves, okay, this very end link, this is the abuse of a child. We don't want anybody to ever get even close to that. But what's the next link? Maybe child pornography, you know, maybe hardcore pornography. Maybe the next link is just regular. Maybe it's, it's, it's uh, uh, low self-esteem and anger issues. Maybe it's, it's somebody who dealt with childhood trauma themselves. So here's the Christ-like answer. This is going to make people mad, okay? But I'm just going to go here. People ask me, Paul, how can you go face to face with people selling you children and not have them see the hatred and the anger in your eyes? And my answer is this, I don't hate them. People are like, oh, you know, you're, they're selling you children. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm putting my life in danger to ensure they never hurt innocence again. But what if, what if we could go back five or 10 years before they ever crossed that bridge, before they ever went down that road and said, what is going on in your life right now that makes you think that it's okay to cause that kind of harm on another human being, especially a child? Here's the thing, almost every one of the perpetrators and the traffickers were abused themselves as children. And it's not just somebody growing up and 45 years old, they decide they're going to go to Columbia and rape a 12-year-old, right? It starts with them passing on that trauma in their own homes, in their own neighborhoods. So we as good Christians have to say, okay, what do we need to do from a compassionate standpoint to fix this problem? We have, we don't have a time machine. We can't go back. And those guys have already crossed that line. They're wasting my oxygen, right? They, they need to be put in a position where they're not able to hurt children. But what we do have is hundreds of millions, if not billions of people who at some time in their childhood experienced this kind of trauma in their own homes, in their own neighborhoods. And if we can give them the help and the love and the healing that they need, the chances of them passing on that trauma to another child goes way, way down. If they don't get the help they need, one in every three will become a contact offender. Mm. What a tool of the enemy to destroy people's lives. Um, and going against it, I guess it's no wonder that you had so much 
uh, backlash even against the movie. I was surprised that something as important as sex trafficking, which everyone pretty much pretends to be socially conscious of, they really uh, came out against the movie uh, last year. Yeah, I think that it was very much a revealing factor. You know, these people who we, we, we wonder, we wonder, you know, is there an alternate agenda with, uh, with Disney? You know, there's all kinds of, no, Disney's good for kids. No, Disney's teaching your kids horrible things. And, you know, oh, big, big media, you know, they're on our side and Hollywood's on our side. And all these guys, they really are, they, they, they want us to help to raise healthy kids. Well, as soon as, the, when, when we first finished the movie, this was more than five years ago almost six years ago now, five years before it came out, the movie was completed. It was ready to go. And we could not get distribution. Here's what happened. Um, Fox International had, had, had worked with us in Colombia and doing some filming there, and they had the, the distribution rights. Well, before the movie was completed, Disney bought them out. And Disney would not allow it to be distributed. We're like, are you kidding me? This, this movie saves kids. It saves kids, right? We have to figure out how to buy out their contract at a premium. And, and then even after that, we ended up having another former Disney executive come in and tie up the movie. He said, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this to the world for you. I, I'll take care of this. Those guys couldn't do it, but I can do it, right? I'll, I'll raise $20 million. I'll take it to the world. He tied it up for another year. Not yeah. $1 was brought in for distribution. It was just a, it was just a tactic to hold it on, hold it down. And then after that, we got shut down everywhere. The only way that we were able to bring this film to the world is a grassroots effort with the same distribution company that brought us the TV series chosen. So I'm sure that you've seen the, the, the TV series chosen the life of Christ. If you haven't loved it, every, every, Every good Christian needs to watch that TV series. It's, it's awesome. so beautifully done. And, and Angel Studios already had a solid foundation with, with so many good families with conservative values that were able to, to take this movie to the world. I, I, I tell people this movie came to the people by the people. The, the financiers behind it wasn't big Hollywood. It was just regular Joes like me, right? The, the people who finally took it and, and distributed it to the world wasn't, wasn't big Hollywood. It wasn't the, the traditional routes. It was social media. It was good people saying, no, this is something that needs to be known. Right. And ultimately, um, how much did this movie gross after all of this hardship? Oh, it's, it's, it's doing well and it's continuing to do well. It's, um, it's over two, we did over $200 million in the US. Now realize we only had a $14 million budget, right? So, so 200 million is massive, but more important than the, than the grossing dollars is the number of eyeballs that got to see it. The number of hearts that were changed, the number of people who went home and hugged their kids tighter and are more aware of the internet and things that, that put their kids at danger, et cetera. And so that's what's the most important. And then beyond the U.S., we're continuing to grow. We're over 250 million now with, uh, with the film. So it's doing exactly what it was supposed to do, creating a global movement. 
You know, what I loved was how you guys struck the exact right balance of having to show the depravity, but not hurting anyone's eyes or, you know, too deeply wounding like what goes on. You didn't need to show anything in order for um, the, the message to get across of what was happening to children. And was that something that you strove for in creating this movie was how do we hit that balance? Yeah, in fact, um, the idea of that balance came way before we picked the final team. That's one of the reasons why, why in our back and forth communications with Sony and Lionsgate and Paramount and others, we chose not to go that direction. They wanted so much control that they could have, they could have, they could have brought. It's a difficult subject, and it has to be handled carefully. And the reason we chose the group that we did, Alejandro Monteverde is the director and is brilliant at creating a, a cinematic production of something that is difficult to talk about. And that the reason why we chose him, he did, a, he did two films that I was super impressed with. One was called Bella, and Bella is on abortion. And there are... There are thousands. In fact, they received over 6,000 letters from mothers who decided to keep their child after watching that movie, Bella. So, so again, difficult subject to be able to take to the world, but they did such a beautiful job that it was super impactful. They did another one called Little Boy that's all on the subject of faith. And it's, it was so beautifully done. After mm -hmm. I saw the movie Little Boy, I, I, uh, I, I went to... Uh, to some of the other guys on the team. And I said, I think we found what I call Team Mexico, right? And these these were, were, were Mexican artists that just did such a beautiful job. And so, and they were, they were, they were men of God and uh, who, who had the same principles that we tried to live our lives by. And, and they did such a beautiful job. So do you think the outfall, thank you very much for your time, uh, Will, We'll uh, let you go, we promise, because I know probably people are showing up at your door or whatever. But um, uh, do you think that the, the greatest outfall of this is that more people awareness came and maybe laws can be put in place to actually help the kids? Absolutely. The, 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 the purpose of the film is, is creating a conversation. And, and it's important that um, that conversation is either the one that the parents need to have with the children or that constituents need to have with their political leaders or the conversations within the political system itself so that, that policy can be changed and kids can be saved. I can't tell you how many operations that we did in different countries that that the laws of that country were so skewed. We, we had one where, where our operators went in and these traffickers were offering 17, 18 year old girls. And our operator simply said, said knowing that these guys had access to others, they said, said do, you, do you have any that are, that are younger? Well, that entire case was thrown out. These guys brought 12 year old children that were being trafficked, but the case was thrown out because it was extortion because they asked for 12 year olds they were already selling 16 year olds they already had the kids so we had to be super careful in each country and then then we had some countries 
where they mandated that these nine, 10 year old children actually saw the money changing hands and heard the conversation of these guys saying what these children are, are willing to do. We had undercover cameras set up. Why the crap do you need to traumatize these children more and making them testify in wow. court against these traffickers? No, there's better ways to do this without without re-traumatizing the children. And so these were all things that transpired over the last 10 years. And now that the movie's out, now we can have those hard conversations with, with political leaders, with religious leaders, with families, saying what do we really need to do to keep the kids safe? Good for you. Well, I just thank you for leaving us with a movie that had such an incredible ending. Like it, it was so exciting. You were rooting so hard for them to get away and you know, your heart was beating and it was epic. And, um, you, you weren't traumatized. You were like, yeah, the good guys win. Like the good guys really win in this movie. And I guess that's the message is the good guys need to win because this is for the kids. I thank you for doing what you've done. Uh, final question, any more movies ahead of you? Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot. We've, uh, we've done so many missions that there's a plenty of content. I will say this, that the downside of Sound of Freedom is, is what I call the, the savior complex. You know, there's on, only one savior and he's, he's not one of the guys in the movie, right? We, we're all regular dudes that were uh, that are out there making a difference fighting child trafficking is not one one person or or one group it's something all of us need to do to come together in fact we had dozens of operators and eight different rescue missions that we brought together as part of the storyline for sound of freedom and so that i mean the 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 jungle scene at the end that was an entirely different country an entirely different team right it, it was a little boy that was his father was a pastor and he was kidnapped in front of the church house of, of, uh, uh, of that country. And so, but we brought all these stories together so that the audience could really see what's going on. Wow. Absolutely incredible. So you have a website, if anybody would like to know more or keep an eye on what you're doing, liberatinghumanity.com. Uh, absolutely wonderful. Thank you for, for all of this. And uh, you have your mission statement on here and regarding protecting, educating, and healing the nation. How amazing that you are taking uh, what God has given you and sowing it back into making this world a better place. We thank God for you. Thank God for your movie. And please continue to, to keep on producing these. I hope that you work with Caviezel. Again, he is spectacular. Absolutely loved him. So keep up the great work, Paul. Thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you, Laura. Thank Super you. Super great. God bless. Absolutely amazing. I, um, I hope that you did get to see that. And if not, I, I probably should have uh, asked Mr. Hutchinson about where you can actually get this movie. But just hunt it down. Sound of Freedom. Um, we have uh, Prime and Apple. Great family movie. Do you know what's hard these days? Uh, we're finding it in our family. We want to sit down and have, you know, watch a movie with our adult children and so, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be perfect because you can't barely find anything perfect, but it doesn't have to be full of this smut and disgusting language the way that they're doing. We're finding it very, very difficult to find that right movie that we can all watch without like, oh, 
what are they doing and saying and what are we seeing? And uh, we've had to turn movies off in the middle of them and say, we, you know, we're not going to watch this series anymore. But um, Sound of Freedom, that is going to be, we actually, we need to do this because um, we just went to the theater to watch it. But to actually watch this as a, as a family movie, it's, it's just spectacular. Plus it has a message and it is bringing knowledge to the world so that this will be dealt with. Um, I'm very grateful for shows like this. And so I want to talk to you now again about uh, this whole AI thing. Um, JT, if you can go to, I think I'll just share. So I posted this post because I went to, um, so here are some pictures, you know, this was uh, the gentleman, his name, um, Mr. Oh, I have his book. So he's written a, he's written a book on AI. Isaiah, yeah, Isaiah Lowe, and um, he is talking about what we can do, how AI, AI expertise, uh, lower energy costs, uh, lower cooling costs, so he was talking about some different things. What business would you build if you had an infinite amount of smart people working for you for free? Well, who are those infinite amount of smart people? That's AI. AI has, it, it's, it's not demonic. Um, it is a tool that people are going to use to do evil. I give you that. But what AI is, is that all of this brilliant information, in, including medical um, information, all of these properties of the world, the, the table of elements, so he was describing <clears throat> what an incredible uh, gift this will be to movie makers. It's not going to cost you necessarily the 14 million. Is that what uh, Mr. Hutchinson said? Something like 14 million to make the movie. It's not going to cost you that anymore because many of these things that you'd have to, you know, pay certain people to do or whatever, it can be done with AI. So another thing that he was talking about was how they asked AI what it would take to, to create the same kind of product as these lithium batteries that we have. And AI was able to, within eight hours, come up with a certain, the certain properties. Um, you know, you've got all of these minerals and, you know, the, the table of elements and, and all of that. How you would mix these elements in order to produce something that would do the same thing as a lithium battery, for instance. And AI was able to come up with all of this. AI is going to be used for some of the worst possible things known to humanity. I give you that. We cannot actually stop it. I guess we can say we're not going to have anything to do with it. We're not going to use it. But I wonder... And I ask you to expand your thinking. What kind of business would you do if you could have, you know, often we can be intimidated by writing a business plan. Now you can say to ChatGPT, could you please write me a business plan that uh, is for, you know, you want to do a company on uh, roofing with an extraordinary material now that's going to be cost effective and you want to go to the bank and you want to get a loan so that you can have your business and you believe that you're going to make money. You believe in this product, okay? So you would be able to tell uh, 
tell ChatGPT to create a business prospectus that you could take to the bank that you could um, you could lay out the the financing, you could lay out the different you know uh, parts of it, how many people you would need to employ, um, all of this. And maybe you can get a robot for thirty thousand dollars that would actually do the, the roofing. I get it. It's going to wipe out jobs. It is. So better to be innovative because you know what's coming: universal basic income from our Canadian leaders. And as I said at the start of the show, we need to worry about stuff like that. Yes, they're going to track and trace. Oh, maybe maybe your carbon footprint is too heavy this month. We're gonna dock your universal basic income. Uh, now that you're used to it, you get $2,000 a month, but we're gonna dock it because, well, you've, you know, you've traveled too much. Um, you've eaten too much meat, <laughs> whatever it is they're going to have us on a very short leash. Now, I was speaking with someone this morning that, that explained something very pivotal to me, a very brilliant person, and they were telling me that what is going to happen is that, this is amazing, I have not heard this. Uh, the person I was speaking to went in and read the minutes from the United Nations, the minutes from the WHO. Okay, this isn't necessarily the stuff that makes it, you know, onto their, their front pages. This is the minutes from the meeting. And guess what? This is what was uh, flouted around, that they're going to create a religious exemption for all those who never took the shot. And they will have a certain percentage of humanity that will be entitled to the religious exemption. The religious exemption, now this is a positive in the, in the near future, okay? that because you did not want to take that shot. Now, what if you didn't take it for religious reasons, but just because you're smart, <laughs> there's those people. Um, somehow you get an exemption because you don't believe in it and you didn't want it. And that's going to be a, a smaller percentage, like maybe 10% of humanity. They, they, the person this morning explained to me <coughs> that if you took even one shot, you will not be allowed at all to get that exemption because you showed you were willing to get the shots. It will be for the people who absolutely refuse to get any shot, you will get a religious exemption and not have to get the shot. For others now who may have taken one or two, some people are up to five and six shots now, yes, if they have taken that many shots, the only way out will now being able to be to, to produce a medical exemption, which I dare say will be much harder to get, much harder. So isn't that interesting? So I said, so you're saying that those who held off, those who said, I can't do it, whatever it costs me, oh, I can't eat in restaurants, oh, you know, I can't do all kinds of things like that. If you decided you were not able to do it and you were willing to take the consequences, you will get the benefit of an exemption. And that will be attributed towards uh, whether there's a pandemic treaty. So another thing that the UN and the WHO are trying to do right now, and, and I'm, I know if you're in the know and you're watching my show, you probably know an awful lot about this, but the pandemic uh, it, it will be more referred to as a treaty or no, 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 as a, um, an accord, 
rather than a treaty because a treaty will be subject to all kinds of things. But, you know, the Paris uh, Paris Climate Accord, it doesn't have to go through regular parliamentary approval. The I don't think that Canada ever had to go through a parliamentary approval of the Paris Climate Accord. It just became sort of an accord that we participate in. And that is basically the kind of thing that they're now moving, you know, into putting it into an accord. So nobody has to pass it past those diligent people in the in the uh, parliament who might question this kind of policy. And also that the problem we have always, and we know this well in Canada, that when it's considered an emergency, that just bypasses everything. It bypasses accords and treaties and all of it. Like once there's a declared emergency, which is why Trudeau so readily and easily wanted to call this, especially during the Freedom Convoy, which is just a, a joke that that was some emergency that you could invoke stupid things like this. Um, but once you've declared an emergency, oh, well, it's an emergency. Well, then you all have to do everything that we're saying because, you know, you're not sovereign anymore. Your constitutional rights don't matter. Your Charter of Rights and Freedoms, as we have fully learned, is as worthless as this piece of paper. It's worth nothing. Not once they declare we've got some kind of emergency happening. So I get it. We have some pretty tough times. But uh, rest assured, we're going to get through it together. We're going to have a good time together. You don't have to be scared. Don't be scared. Uh, just understand that God is large and in charge. He's going to give us wisdom. He's going to give us the way out of an issue. We're going to have the power of prayer. And uh, hopefully we're going to have some good leadership that might direct our country in a better way than what we've seen in the last um, seven to eight years um, coming up on. So Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the GOP race uh, just before the New Hampshire primary. So it's um, the race for the presidency of the United States of America just got a little bit smaller. Take a look. I thank all of our passionate supporters who have stood by us through it all. That we had people volunteer to come to Iowa in the middle of a blizzard to knock on doors and make phone calls touched us dearly. No candidate had more thrown at him but no candidate had so many committed volunteers and staff. Finally, I want to thank my wife, Casey, and our kids, Madison, Mason, and Mamie. Casey's gone far above and beyond in her support for our campaign and for our cause. She's not only a great wife and mother, she's a great American who cares deeply about the future of the country that our kids will inherit. Our kids have seen and done a lot on the trail, from playing on the famed Field of Dreams baseball site in Iowa to making their first snowman in New Hampshire. They are one of the reasons we fight so hard for what we believe in. Winston Churchill once remarked that success is not final, failure is not fatal, it is the courage to continue that counts. While this campaign has ended, the mission continues. Down here in Florida, we will continue to show the country how to lead. Thank you and God bless. Well, I really like uh, Ron DeSantis and I'm a bit disappointed if I can share my true thoughts with you on something, and that is that I, from the moment that he decided to run, was surprised that he was doing that because I felt it wasn't his time. And I look at it kind of as a lesson that maybe all of us can learn 
that yes, he could of course put his name through and yes, he was very popular with many people across the United States of America, but did God actually ask Ron DeSantis to run at this hour? Did he consult God? Here's what I think happened. He had uh, some rhinos that were in the Republican Party. He had some people that came alongside of him and they said, oh, you'll be so popular. You'll beat Trump. Uh, we'll support you. We'll help you. We'll raise funds for you. You can do it. Get in the race and go up against Trump. But if you're a discerner of the times, and I, I, I have to, to you know, be kind of frank, like either you discern things or at least follow people who do. Because it is very clear that God's hand is on Trump because Trump is not an establishment person. He is not one of the normal uh, dudes in there. He did not need their money. So he could not be bribed and he couldn't be blackmailed no matter how many bad things he'd done that they kept bringing out. <laughs> I mean, the guy is not perfect. This is just like Cyrus, you know, in the Bible, um, in Isaiah 45, where Cyrus, God put in a man who did not know God, but came to know the power of God in his reign. But Cyrus did not know God in the same way that Trump, having been a former Democrat, really, uh, did not know God. This wasn't a, you know, a man that the evangelicals could get alongside. Oh, this is such a great guy. I mean, you know, the way he talks about, you know, women and the, you know, the relationships he's had and whatnot. It's really interesting. Um, I watched the Hillary documentary last night and I watched it not because I like Hillary Clinton. I actually can't stand her. Um, but I, I watched it be because she's godless, because she doesn't stand for life. Uh, she claims to be a Christian and goes to all these black churches while abortion has affected the black community and taken away hundreds of thousands, if not millions of black people from the United States of America because it's a depopulation agenda. And she radically, radically, right up to the, the first breath of a baby supports uh, you know, women having the right to abort their unborn child coming down the birth canal. This is a godless, horrible woman pretending, you know, she can quote scripture. This is the day that the Lord has made, she says, in front of these, you know, this black church. And it made me sick. I wanted to gag like, oh, how ridiculous. But I enjoyed kind of watching. Okay, I really enjoyed the end because that's when Trump won and she was so shocked and she, she, she was so upset. She couldn't come out in front of people. Uh, she was crying. She was upset. She just like literally fell apart in the back of a van. She just laid down and, you know, um, because they did not know what was coming in, in that 2016 when Trump won. They did not know the amount of people that were going to vote for him. And so they couldn't even prepare for it in any way, if you know what I mean. In 2020, it was a different story. They knew. They knew what they were facing. In 2024, now we know. Our side now knows what we're facing. So I know some of you out there don't like Trump, but I love that he supported uh, the the black community more than Obama ever did. I love that he's not a racist. I love that he employs so many people and gives them good jobs and treats his employees really well. They have testified themselves on that. I love that that he brought about the opportunity for Roe versus Wade to be overturned. That's because of Trump. Babies have been saved because of that man. 
I love that he has brought up God. Um, you will never see this on any of the mainstream media, but if you go into the videos of Donald Trump, who he brought to the White House, he would have worship nights at the White House. I've seen them. Worship nights. He brought pastors in for prayer. He met with the evangelicals, and he was still relatively um, rejected by these men of God because he just didn't have the part. He wasn't, you know, the husband of only one wife. He wasn't, you know, he uses bad words sometimes. He's mean. He's a bully. <laughs> you know, if you're going to go up against the, the most powerful demonic evil forces on the planet, you better be tough. You better be tough. What do you see in Joe Biden right now? Hey, who everyone brought in? Wouldn't the world be better if Trump had been in in the last four years? Well, we're going to get a chance to see that. I pray. I pray for that. I pray we get a chance to see that. What he does to undo. I mean, it's almost like God said, oh, you want Biden? All right, here you go. Open borders, defund the police, you know, all kinds of ridiculous agendas, uh, all, all of this racial injustice uh, being highlighted and shown to everyone to make, you know, white people seem like they're evil because they're white. Is that not racism? You know, I, I believe that a large part of white society is not racist. I'm not saying there's not a few racists out there. God help them all. Because a lot of white people have embraced, have embraced. In fact, they fought for the slaves to be free. They fought for African-Americans to have full citizenship and have the full weight of freedom so that they could pursue any career. We've had an African-American president in the United States of America. So all of this racial profiling and all of this that they've done, and then what the Biden um, you know, regime has done with uh, gender and bringing in all of that, just fascinating. Um, all right, John Kerry complaining about the amount of climate change that is caused by agriculture. Growing your food could cause climate change. We can't do it, everyone shut it down. <sighs> agriculture contributes about 33% of all the emissions of the world. Uh, depending a little bit on how you count it, but it's anywhere from 26 to 33. And we can't get to net zero. We don't get this job done unless agriculture is front and center as part of the solution. But with a growing population on the planet, we just crossed the threshold of 8 billion fellow citizens around the world. We just crossed that in this last year. Emissions from the food system alone are projected to cause another half a degree of warming by mid-century on the current course that we are today. A two-degree future could result in an additional 600 million people not getting enough to eat. And you just can't continue to both warm the planet while also expecting to feed it. Doesn't work. So we have to reduce emissions from the food system to keep the 1.5 degrees alive. Why do we have to keep 1.5 degrees alive? Because scientists, as a basis of physics and mathematics, not ideology and politics or party labels or anything else, as a matter of physics and mathematics and some biology and chemistry have told us, these are the consequences. 
and we already see it happening. And almost everything they've predicted for 30 plus years now is coming true, but the problem is it's coming true faster and bigger than was in fact predicted. <laughs> what a pile of crock. What a pile of crock. We've had the global people, uh, the global climate change deniers uh, on this show giving us the facts about CO2 being important, about, you know, what they're trying to do. He's basically saying, we're, you know, people are going to die from being, I don't know, what, too hot, too cold? I think more people die from being too cold, I think is what you've said to me, JT. And um, so, you know, let's, so we're going to have to reduce the food. Now, yes, we might have global starvation, but, um, you know, better that they die that way than just putting all of these global, you know, these climate emissions into the, you know, in, into the atmosphere. I mean, he's just so, he's such a nutty man and, and pure evil, really, pure evil. He's another one of those that I, I'm pretty sure he makes loads of money off his position and talking points. He's married to the heir of the Heinz ketchup. Very, very wealthy. So he's got influence and he gets paid for his words. I, I can assure you. And it's all a pile of nonsense. We need not buy into any of it. But here's a problem. It's when our leaders in Canada or the United States buy into this. When we buy into the climate narrative. When we've got Pierre Polyev. Pierre Polyev. The hope of our nation. He's coming in, right, to save everything. But when we have him talking about meeting these climate targets, that's a problem. We've covered that before. French farmers here join with their German brothers and begin blocking highways and rail lines. So this is absolutely fantastic. This is what's going on. We saw our good uh, friend uh, Eva, I don't want to... Yeah, Lord Dingerbrook, yeah. So they're putting waste? This is waste? Like farm waste, hay, agriculture stuff, putting it across the, to, to block the highways? Uh, I guess, you know, if this, uh, the train tracks, okay. So I guess if Trudeau um, was, you know, if, oh, if the truckers did anything more than just block a few streets that nobody really needed to use uh, in downtown Ottawa, uh, like this would be a, an emergency or something. I don't know what they're doing in Germany about all of this. Like these guys are just, they are pouring it on. And uh, different countries are joining them. Wasn't it also... Romania. Romania and, and, and a bunch of different places. Um, and now French farmers joining with them because why? Why are the farmers upset? Oh, because John Kerry's probably uh, given his spiel to their countries, telling them how they're going to have to bring down these emissions and it's affecting the farmer's ability to produce the food that they need to produce. No farmers, no food, everybody. Talk about, you know, uh, cutting off your nose to spite your face. Talk about stupidity going on in the world where we need to have, you know, now that we've got the ability, we have lots of people on the planet. We could be, you know, doing lots of initiatives to create more food if more food is needed. Um, CO2, stop talking this nonsense about CO2 and nitrogen and all of that that they put on everybody. Just ridiculous. Yeah, it is a crazy world. Okay, so, you know, the son of George Soros. Is this going to be, 
future generations, you know, will will the person who comes after Laura Lynn Live and carries on this work, uh, will, will they be bringing up Alex Soros, I wonder? Because he alleges that Donald Trump removed checks and balances during his presidency. Take a look. I think that we can talk about uh, institutions as these abstract things, but institutions are also about people. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, um, you know, we just heard this, this this point about untrustworthy people, and we talked about things in the United States like, you know, like um, checks and balances, which aren't written anywhere, but are customs. And one man, Donald Trump, literally came in and just took that, you know, took that, took that all away. Um, you know, so, um, you know, so, um, you know, but when I see this, you know, when I look at this, um, you know, um, you know, uh, more globally regarding, regarding, you know, regarding democracy, I also say to myself, when was this great time that everybody got along so well and, you know, things were going so, so great? I mean, I think, you know, um, um, you know, the, um, you know, I think that we really have to be careful here in, you know, in this nostalgia. Uh, for a time, uh, you know, for a time past, because a lot of the reactions we're seeing in society are actually reactions to positive, uh, to positive things like, you know, like equality uh, for women, um, you know, uh, and, um, uh, you know, and greater diversity, uh, which come with backlash. (laughs) So, so he's talking about Donald Trump removing checks and balances. What a joke. Like the Soros family is a joke. What do they do? They back attorney generals who uh, defund the police. DAs, district attorneys who defund the police, who have done that in state after state, and it's caused nothing but chaos. That would be removing checks and balances. That would be about the stupidest thing you could do while the world has more and more evil in it. I guess as the population increases, uh, you know, if we're going to depopulate anybody, let's depopulate the bad guys. I mean, I'm not advocating for any kind of murder or anything. I'm just saying maybe just put them all in jail and and deal with the bad people. What what do people like him? This guy, so he thinks the, the positives have been diversity? No, no. Why do you think that we're having more and more problems with planes? Because some of these places that are trying to incorporate this diversity notion are not hiring the best engineers to take care of the planes and and the, you know, all all kinds of, you know, things that are going on across the world that need really able-minded and brilliant people to be in charge of them, not just the right gender, Not, oh, you know what? Our company, it looks like we have too many heterosexuals. So the next person we hire to be the, um, you know, in charge of the maintenance, we need to have somebody who's transgender, preferably male to um, male to female, so that, you know, there's a little bit of beauty that goes into what's going on in the face and all of that. And um, so we need that kind of person, make sure that they do have a degree, that would be important. But the most important thing is that that dude is wearing a dress to the office. And that's why we're beginning to see quality go down everywhere. That's why nobody's signing up 
to get into the military in the United States, they have a total uh, crisis on their hands because all the military dudes, these are tough guys willing to lay down their lives for their country, are going into military school to, to be coached and taught on how to use the correct pronoun and how to be acceptive, you know, accepting of all of this diversity. Listen, maybe we don't really care what your pronoun is when we're in a foxhole. And, and we've got all the bad dudes attacking us and, and we have to really go and fight for our lives. Maybe we just don't care whether, like, what your sexuality is. Keep it out of here. Put on the uniform and let's go. And by the way, if you're a dude calling yourself a lady, I don't think you need to be in the ladies' change room. That is not a, a function of your mental state. That is a biology uh, centered spot that you go. Men go into men's rooms, women go into women's rooms, just the way it is. Now, if you're Soros, I don't know what this guy is thinking. This Isn't he 90 or something? I mean, you know, imminently we'll be meeting his maker. I would like to be a fly on the wall for that. I pray I get to see that. But so I hope that's done later, you know, when we're all watching. Because the word of God says that he's going to separate the sheeps from the goats. And we know Soros is a goat. And it is appointed unto man once to be born, once to die. That's why we don't believe in this, uh, you know, when you, you think that you can come back as something else, right? We don't believe in that. We believe God made us once. Then we die. And then the word says, Judgment, not reincarnation, judgment. So when Soros faces God and he has poured millions and millions of dollars into lying to humanity regarding and indoctrinating our children regarding gender, he will have some accounting to do. And now his son, Alex, chip off the old block. All right, an unexpected revelation from comedian, podcaster, Russell Brand. Take a look. The reason I wear a cross is because Christianity, and in particular, the figure of Christ, are, it seems to me, inevitably becoming more important as I become more familiar with suffering, purpose, self, and not self. Reading the Bible a lot more, and as I've told you before, I'm reading Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. When I grew up, Christianity seemed like it was either really irrelevant and old-fashioned and sort of dusty and sort of incense and sort of, oh, domine, or they tried to modernise it and it seems just like, right, okay, we're going to talk about Jesus. And like both of those routes seem like, oh, I don't know if there's anything for me. And I suppose it takes a certain amount of adulthood and it might be different for all of us. For me, it seems that it's taken quite a lot to recognise that you need, I need a personal relationship with God. It occurred to me that if instead of always talking to myself inwardly, I could replace one of those voices with an indwelling God. He says in Galatians, it is our job to die so that as Christ died on the cross, he might be reborn in us. I'm very interested to hear what you think, because for me, my heart is open. Hey, man. <laughs> so here's a guy formerly married to Katy Perry. He's been in a couple of movies, a uh, very left-leaning sort of performer. And, you know, um, 
entertainer. And he's saying the power of the cross is becoming important to him, who Jesus is, that it's becoming more and more important to him. And this is what's happening is that the darker the world gets, the more that people are seeing the light, the more that they're wanting to know about this person of Jesus. And maybe in the end, with all the fracturing that has gone on in our world, all of the different sides, you know, you're on the same side as the, you know, global uh, warming people until you get this other notion. And then, then you find out, well, the global warming people, they're also for the transgender agenda. So, well, I'm with the global warming, but I'm not with the transgender. So then we're in a battle, uh, you know, over that. And then there's the freedom movement and the freedom movies movement is all on board, but we have to completely reject AI and not stand with uh, Israel at this time, because of course the Jews are all evil like Soros and, and uh, the Rockefellers. So um, there's, there's the, the fractioning, like the fracturing of humanity right now. Our families, you know, are, are having troubles communicating. And I'm pretty sure my family basically, you know, some, some of them think I'm that right-leaning uh, nut out there, right? So, but we're all getting to a place where we're going, well, some of those crazy things that the conspiracy theorists were saying are uh, all coming true. And we're giving warnings uh, about what's coming, but all for what purpose? All for what purpose? So that we're on the same side of the, the new enlightened people, uh, those who truly understand all things and what, what is going on in the world. First of all, I don't think any one person will ever have all the enlightenment that they need. There's what I know is that there's discerners and non-discerners, and I, I want to be a part, and I want my friends to be those that are the discerners of the times, not, not the, um, you know, the, the ones who ignore the truth, the ones who basically can't think critically at this hour when we really have to be critical thinkers. And that is what a group of people, these are Christians that are doing AI conferences. Now, if you see of an, an AI conference happening, I hear that there's something going on right here in British Columbia at a church. And I don't know what y'all think. Am I getting any hate there, um, JT, about AI at all? No, not on this feed. You're all lovers, not haters. <laughs> okay, I like it. All right. I, I, want you, I want you to understand my heart. I'm because... Putting the stuff up on um, on X and Facebook this last weekend got me in some kind of trouble. People were not happy about it. I'm saying we're going to be able to make movies with the gospel of Jesus. We're going to be able to make uh, powerful stories come to life at not needing millions of dollars. Why? Because of AI. We're going to be able to write things. Uh, we're going to have knowledge. Uh, one person who's a, a strong Christian man, Michael Clark, explained to me, think of your chat GPT as you've got access to the five most brilliant minds on the planet, and you can ask them anything you want. Now, I've already told chat GPT that it had it wrong. I did. I said, no, wrong. I said wrong. And then it came back and <laughs> And it said, you know, well, you know, I, uh, you know, some of the information I share could be wrong, so you should check. So what does that mean about anything that we can believe from ChatGPT? Right, JT? You're feeling my pain. I mean, you know, but what I'm understanding is 
Chat, GPT, and AI has already taken all the brilliance of every medical journal out there. Every medical, um, you know, where, where they've done this testing, let's say, say they've broken down all the components of the virus, okay, the big virus. Uh, it has already broken down all the components it knows and scary it's able to even anticipate what's next and how you make an even more frightening uh, virus. Yes, that is the evil. And that is what the guy explained to us at this conference. He said, we have a problem because knowledge, in the end times, men will gain great knowledge. In fact, the word of God says that knowledge will be increased at the end of time. Knowledge will be, so I'm just going to put it into my AI thing and find out where that is in the Bible. Daniel 12, 4. <laughs> so, but I'm never going to give up my book. I'm never going to give up my Bible. I'm not going to do things with AI that are evil, but Early adopters, early adopters of AI will be able to progress and do something powerful. What if God calls you to do something powerful with the information that you're able to take? Let's beat them at their own game, everyone. Let's so overwhelm the use of AI with positive that the negative has to come back at us a lot harder just to get its message across because we overwhelm, we overwhelm the interwebs with good. What if? I don't know. My website, lauralynn.tv. And I thank you very much for supporting us. We have an opportunity to get onto Daystar. And that would be Daystar Canada, not the US. It's way too much money. We'd never do it. Um, I'm wondering if you value the kind of truth and the kind of interviews and the information that we're sharing here. If you could help us to go another level up, and that would be to get back onto mainstream television. Why? So that we can reach those who are not necessarily comfortable with internet, so that we can have, you know, some of you still tape, you know, you, you still, um, well, you record. We don't VCR it anymore, right? We record. Uh, most of you have a cable box. That box can record a show. So if you could record live with Laura Lynn, um, you could save it, you could watch it later, and you could tell other people about how to get information and, you know, and, and maybe our elderly people. My son said something interesting to me today. He said, well, I figure we've got about 10 years where television is still relevant until it's not anymore because the generation that is more committed to television and, you know, I'm still committed to television. I don't, I don't know. I'm still watching it. I'm watching like news at night and uh, I like to flip around the channels, but I, I like to watch Jesse. Um, now Tucker Carlson, he's just on the internet. He's, he's not on television anymore. So he's gone. Television is one medium. It's almost like a channel on the internet that you can only get through the box that you have in your home. But one day, you know, uh, people will get used to just going onto the internet. And with everyone that gets sort of shadow banned or cast out of television, you end up going to the internet. That's what happened to me. Um, I was on mainstream 
well, I mean, Christian, mainstream Christian television for many years until, you know, that there was a, a separation there. And then I went to my own thing. And now that I've done my own thing, I go, okay, I know the call of God on my life and I cannot uh, reject it or turn from it in any way. And it's, it doesn't matter the cost. I must do what God has called me to do. And I'm going to do it having the most fun and pulling you along with me to have the most fun that we could ever have. So I appreciate you. If you're willing to help us to, to grow, um, there is a donate button on our web page. And when you go there, you'll have options. You can uh, become a monthly donor, which is very helpful. You could do it for a small amount or a greater amount. We have all different amounts that people are now saying, we want to support you every month, Lauralyn. You also can make an anonymous donation. I won't know who you are. I'd love it if you sent me in an email so I could thank you. But we also have the one-time giving. And with the one-time giving, you are able to make a contribution of small to a great amount. Another way is through e-transfer, and that would be through Live at protonmail.com. You can also reach me through Live at gmail.com. Uh, both of those will work to send an e-transfer if that is easier for you. Then <clears throat> we have our box number, box 48184, New Westminster, B3M0A7. If that works best for you, fantastic. I, I would like to grow. Um, we do not make a lot of money here. We live within our means, cheaply, and I would not be able to afford the amazing work that my husband does. So, and he wouldn't be able to afford me. So, <laughs> you that's know, been proven, so. that's been proven. <laughs> he says, not even. You always say I'm a cheap date, right? I go out. I don't order a lot. I take home my leftovers so I have food for the next day. I'm definitely a cheap date. But the thing is, is what we do as our expertise, um, you know, the money that I made in, in television broadcast was uh, a lot. And what he made doing his behind the scenes production work and being a director, shooter, editor, all of the things that JT did in the back, he did the, the background. So what has God done? Here we are together, uh, jobless, um, unhirable, and we've, we've made this our life's call. So we get up in the morning and begin preparing for the show. And when we come here, we try to bring you the best and the, the most critical things that you should know, and I give you the best information. I, I have sometimes high-level talks with very significant people in the country who trust me, and I don't mention their names. I just have little chats about what is going on, and then I share that with you. And you need to understand that it's all coming down. This universal income coming to every Canadian, which is going to harm a lot of drug addicts for one class of people. It's also going to harm uh, those people that are already have a lazy streak and, you know, they don't maybe necessarily need to make any more than that. Now, there could be another way where it's a top-up. So you get a top-up of your income. So that might be another way they bring it in. But it will be linked to digital identity. So some people say that they're not going to be, you know, supporting that and all that, but 
we'll see what happens. So thank you very much. If you're willing to support us, it means the world. I'm going to go to Daniel. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Okay, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel. There we go. Daniel 12.4. <clears throat> and uh, in the last days. So end times. Can I read you? Let's just read a little bit together. And always remember in your Bible to understand whatever you read so that you leave an incredible gift to your children when you're gone of what was important. Every day you could have that Bible ready and we could go to the word together. We'll underline it. This Bible I've only ever underlined uh, since I've been, so it's, it's actually full of underlines. I don't know if you can see that, but I only highlight this Bible that I'm gonna give to my daughter because it's pink and girls love pink. Um, I'm gonna give this to her, but it's going to be full of what uh, we talked about on the show and these things that are heard. So, and understood, hopefully. Daniel 12, 1, at, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. So the title of this chapter is the end times. Is it the end times? Is it the beginning of the last days? Are we in the middle? Are we closer than we think? I don't know, but this says the end times. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning, such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Amen. That's the promise that there will be a distress such as has never happened. But those whose names are written in the book of life, those whose names are found there, they will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who arise, no, those who are wise and will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. It's interesting because it appears that uh, Daniel is receiving a prophetic word from God and it's telling him, roll up the seal, the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Roll it up. It will not be revealed until the time of the end. Um, it's interesting that the book of Enoch, which is not in our canon, the book of Enoch, Enoch clearly says at the beginning of it that it is for a time yet to come. And uh, I find that a fascinating book that we should all take a look at. But what I'm very, very most grateful for is that God gives a blueprint of how to live. God gives a highlight. He gives knowledge. 
the very most important knowledge we can have is this book right here. It's not AI. I'm with you on that. God bless everyone. See you tomorrow. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing. But for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.